All right, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here today, Jack Butcher, Trung Fan, Bilal Zaidi. We're all standing. We're back at our computers. Trung's I'm not doing back is back. Trung's back is back. He's not laying down on his iPhone this time. Jack has got a lot going on as well, which we're going to get to in a minute. I mean, just to give a quick preview, Jack's checks NFT that we spoke about last week hit number one on OpenSea. Um, both in terms of volume and trending, I think. So we'll get all the details from him on that. I just went on it this morning, Jack, and I just saw like three other derivative projects of what you're doing. So you literally have been taking over OpenSea in the last week. Wait, so Jack, we'll be- are you aware of these derivative products? products? Yeah, man. Yeah, we talked about all- it. It's what, what, what's cool about what we'll get to the full details in a minute is it's all under CCO, I assume. And it's all the stuff we've been talking about on the show. You've been putting into practice. So want to get details there. Uh, and then we've also got, so we're going to be talking about Jack stuff coming up in a second. And then we've also got um, Prince Harry had a blockbuster few weeks with his book coming out. We've got a meme in a week coming, but um, Trung is going to break down the ghostwriting industry and uh, give us a bit more details on that. And then for the second half of the show, we've got our friend Omar Kazi joining. He's from Whole Mars Mars Blog Twitter account. He's going to be talking all about Twitter, uh, sorry, Tesla and uh, that whole world. So, uh, boys, who wants to tee up this um, meme of the week we got? I think there's only one place to start since we're talking Harry this week. Jack, you got this? I think you shared it in our group chat. Is this Harry book popping off in your uh, like British group chats as hard as it is in America? Not really really in the group. I mean, my friend group is probably not the one sharing this with the boys, but I I will say the meme accounts have been killing it. Unreal. Boys, uh, I've got to say, before we get into any of this, like I know nothing about this thing. I got this... uh, (laughs) Like everything I know is secondhand from the like volume of memes about it, but I have Same. no context beyond that. But this, I got this from a friend of mine who is uh, lives in London. Yeah, we. <laughs> Mate, unreal. Also, do you want to read it out for people? Yeah, so who it's aren't... The, the image is the. I guess this is the book cover, right? His yeah, uh, yeah Harry's it's the book face cover. looking at the camera, and then uh, the caption is "Me to the HR department. Thanks. Love my time being employed here. Me on Glassdoor." colon and it's just the image of the book which Incredible. i'm assuming means well let's provide the context he absolutely <laughs> eviscerates the <laughs> institution of the mo- british monarchy his entire every single person other than diana gets thrown under the bus in this book have you read the book yet tron well let me you guys will laugh i bought the book to make a meme i wanted to screen record (laughs) me listening to the audible at the fastest speed possible i posted it it's got a thousand likes so it's worth it so i bought it and i was going to return the book but then i was listening to it while driving and i'm like oh this is actually crazy so um for the uninitiated although i'm sure a lot of our listeners have bought the book um i know this is the preamble for uh uh for harry um Wait, do we want to talk preamble or do we want to talk Jack's project first? Uh, should we do? Should we save that part for the second half? And then uh, let's. Harry? Should we just talk okay, about? Okay, yeah, let's talk about Jack's update. Update on Jack's project, and then Trump right, will let's go do crazy. That. And Harry. then, um, yo, so Jack, let's just get straight to it, man. I mean, you, 
you've been sharing some stuff. I think you were going to do a Twitter Spaces on the weekend, or you did do a Twitter Spaces. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were in there. Yeah, I was on there. Yeah, and uh, we were listening for a little bit. I was listening for a bit. Maybe Trung was there for longer, but uh, I was just post. I was outside because Arsenal beat Tottenham, so it was like a big Congrats, day in mate. the football world. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, but um, I was not in a state to be listening in properly to the NFT side <sighs> coherently. So um, basically, yeah, you, you were going to have all these NFT people talking about your project, but in that time it looked like you kind of took over OpenSea and I, I have a screenshot of the top 10 projects on OpenSea and it's like CryptoPunks, you and then Board Ape Yacht Club and basically all the blue chips and you. So what happened since the last time we spoke man? So I think we tapped into the meme in a very real way since last week. So I've spoken to a bunch of people about this uh, at this point. And I think what I would like to get on the record about it is I think the thing that is resonating in hindsight is the idea of verification changing hands. The nature of the concept of verification becoming this thing that is bottom up instead of top down, which we've talked about at length on this podcast, right? Like $8 gets you verified and this concept of if everyone is verified, no one is verified. If like, and vice versa, if everybody is, if nobody is notable, everybody is notable. So like this satirical take on verification became a thing that I think embodies a lot of the characteristics of Web3, permissionless finance, NFTs, bottom up organization, decentralization. So I think that's like the philosophical take on it. The other thing is like, it's really easy to make memes of a grid. And the format has become the meme as opposed to um, the image becoming the meme, if that makes sense. Like this format of repetition has become the meme in the same way that like uh, Trung will probably resonate with this. You have a format in a memetic or wherever you work and there could be a million expressions of that format. Well, let me give you an example. Drake's album cover, uh, uh, Certified Lover Boy, of just the pregnant girl emojis. Yeah. That became a meme, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. That format, exactly. So, yeah, I think this idea of the format being a level higher than the meme and having this embedded meaning that isn't a bunch of shapes on a page, it's the concept of verification changing hands from top-down institutional, we decide who is important and who isn't, to bottom up, I'm making this thing, I'm putting it on the blockchain and I'm verifying it myself. So I think there's just all these themes that overlapped that led to a lot of people putting their own spin on it, putting their own take on it. I tried to amplify a bunch of these projects that are inspired by it or like, honestly, there's like a hive mind quality to it as well where everybody's kind of arriving at this point in time together i think that's you know it's probably someone who's articulated this far more far more in a far more sophisticated way than i am but the hive mind has been thinking about this idea and obviously elon's platform has made the verified check mark such a massive symbol in the world or, or like such a point of focus it has been a massive symbol right like it transcends culture it transcends language it is bigger than basically any symbol you can think of like it's up there with a dollar sign it means something to everyone yeah and now that context has flipped 
So you have this moment in time in culture where everybody recognizes that this symbol is like changing hands almost. And I think the art and the memes and the movement that has like bubbled up underneath it is a function of that belief, whether or not people subconsciously feel it or are very, like a few people have articulated that to me exactly. And other people are just like, cool, I'm going to make a, a thing that resembles that. <laughs> well, Jack, uh, I mean, go, go, go on, Trunk, you're going to say something. No, no, I was just going to say something along the lines of, uh, I've been asked a lot by my friends, like, you got in on this project, right? Like, you're boys with Jack. And what I wanted to say was this. For the listeners and viewers, I think there's some insider trading fuckery going. There's none. Me and Bilal were both yeah. like, there's no chance. Jack's like, hey, guys, I'm working on a project. I'm like, oh, cool, man. You just had a kid a week ago. Yeah, that, that's not going to get very far. I'm like, I'm like, I didn't say that, bro? but fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I know, in I know. my head, I'm like, oh, Jack, well, first news. of all, I got to say this. When I saw Jack like uh, was uh, active on Twitter like a few days after uh, uh, his second chat, I'm like, first of all, animal. Kudos to you. Beast I would have mode. taken at least three, four months of like total brain shut off. Uh, not only does Jack go beast mode, he's the number one project on OpenSea. And and for the listeners, no, there was no heads up to Trung. And even if it was, I'd be like, Jack, I can't Man. trust this project, dude. You just had a second kid. <laughs> I didn't even get any myself. If that gives you, oh yeah, yeah that was you any. There you that was go. I bought them all secondary. So oh, that's, yeah, that's unreal, amazing. man. That's hilarious, dude. Yeah. Well, and so just for people who didn't hear the full episode last week, you should go check it out. But the summary was you created this project, you allowed people to basically mint these for $8 based on the $8 verification. It obviously blew up. And then since then, it was number one on OpenSea. And then I'll just share my screen here because when I went on it this morning on OpenSea, the number one trending project was called Checkpunks. I'm assuming Jack knows of this Unreal, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, now, I mean, obviously that's a dynamic thing. It's going up and down. But yeah, so CheckPunks is a collection of CryptoPunks created using Jack Butcher's checks. As you can see, they are looking like CryptoPunks in the same grid Made from style checks. Wait, they're, of they're, checks. They're, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, so you can see the Yo, check here. And dude. Jack explained in the last episode all the number stuff and uh, how he came up with that. Yeah, so and, definitely check um, that out. Yeah, really interesting. Anyway, all this is public stuff, but yeah, I mean, the ETH volume on this already in the last like week or two since it's been out, it's already over 13,000 ETH in ETH volume. Okay, you, need to, you need to translate that. Translate sorry, 100, that. sorry. 1342 is when I looked this Was morning. Was it 3 mil? 3 mil? 2 mil dollars in no, that's, today's... That's, so that's on OpenSea. Hang on a sec. Oh, you, oh, damn. Okay. Yeah, somebody do the math for me. No, you got looks you rare coming too, yeah? Is that... Well, it looks right. Oh, blur, go. all of these other things. So, shout out Traff and Jalil. Oh, this guys is that are helping me with the front end and back end of the next phase of it. But this is live data. That's, oh, damn. Okay, Dashboard, so, even Jack, better. what will be really dope is uh, mentally for you is if this, uh, do you have a floor price that if it hit, you'd be like, wow, that, that feels really cool. Is it like one ETH? I don't, honestly, um, this might sound like bullshit but like the whole idea of this thing is to basically see the art is kind of how the market interacts with it is becoming the art so yeah just understanding and being able to like leave an artifact of how people play with it is going to be fascinating to me so i don't really have any expectations or hopes for it that's also like not a healthy relationship to have with it either. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. Like it's, it's, it's far exceeded my expectations. I'll put it as that already. 
And um, yeah, just seeing where it ends up because the goal that we're, we're working on now is to get it to a point where we deploy this second stage and it's completely immutable, takes care of itself. Like the smart contract lives on chain and we just watch what happens. Everybody has agency to treat it how they want to treat it. And it ends up, you know, there's a couple, couple people message me about wanting to set up a DAO to go after the black check. There's people forming little discords by themselves to strategize how to pool together some of their um, pieces to do various different things. So the story is kind of the, the, the story that comes the, up the back the of legacy. this is the thing. That's the legacy. Trung, yeah. quit asking about fucking money, Trung. Jesus. I make, I make a, a tiny, tiny fraction of this now, if yeah. anything, on each transaction, because the royalties are optional on OpenSea. So yeah. I may make 2.5% 2, 2 per transaction, but the majority of transactions are done on zero royalty marketplaces. So this thing is out in the world now and it's going to do what it's going to do. We'll keep uh, coming back and checking on What's well, going on? We're slapping Trung on the wrist because uh, for anybody that's not in our Telegram group, <laughs> we one of our listeners uh, commented, uh, I appreciate that shout out because uh, you're right, but the shout out was of, uh, uh, along the lines of Trung. There's more to this project than how much money Jack has made. Well, first of all, because as Jack said, the initial sale is over. Everything now, it's not like it's, not like it's all going to Jack's land. Even if it was, like Jack said, that's not the point. It's already exceeded his expectations. The the legacy of this project is what you've said, right? Is everything that's happening for pro basically from here on out. Like how, what, what's the crazy stuff that's going to happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it should, you know, once we have it fully built, you'll be able to see what happens in the art itself. So it might stay 16,000 pieces. It might go down to 8,000 pieces. It might go down to three pieces. Like there are a million different variations. Yeah and just building out the infrastructure to basically tell that story while it's happening so like that is what the narrative will shift to i think from the like explosion of memes that are talking about the initial idea to how the game f plays out you know what happens um when the infrastructure is live jack what would uh what in a world because i don't know the mechanics fully there's a world where these sixteen thousand uh nfts sold turns into one so what is that world? So three, technically. So the math is the 16,000 are identical, right? They're these identical images that I can actually control that image. I could go and replace that image for like a picture of the three of us right now if I wanted. Uh, so you own basically... Surprise, check yeah, some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've been doing that. I've been changing the metadata on the image. So I'm trying All to right. explain and play with this idea of what is ownership, what is an NFT... What is uh, authorship? Like the, you own the token, you don't own the image, right? The, you own the token and the token points to a URL that hosts the image. Most people think when they own an NFT, they own an image. But this is far beyond images. We're talking about ideas and the, all the different scenarios that can play out. Basically you take that, everybody has agency with that original edition, right? So the first thing you can do is burn that for a completely original on-chain version. That'll be completely unique, 100% unique. So that will remove one from the original collection and put a new one in a new collection, right? The other mechanic that we built in was the ability to keep your token ID. 
So the token ID you own in the original collection, you can carry that over into the new collection. But once you get, hang on, let me pull my screen back up. Once you get into it. So it begins like this, right? This is your first image. You have this identical edition. Every single one is the same. You burn that. It becomes this completely unique version. Every single one of those will be different. You burn two of those together and they become this. So if everybody does oh that, that has the God. supply. Okay. So that's a major coordination problem, like you're saying, right? Yeah. So that halves the supply if everyone does that. Then it's two of those to get to the next one. Then it's two of those to get to the next one. Two of those to get to the next one. Two of those to get to this one. Unreal. And two of those to get to this one. So to get to the single check is 64 original editions, right? So you need to burn 64 of the, the identical ones to get this. And then to get the final one, you need to burn 64 of those previous checks. So that's 4,096 of the original editions. So there's so that, four of those. There's, no, it's three. It's just three. under four because okay. it's 16,031. If another hundred pieces would have been minted or some, I don't know the exact math, then it would have been four. Drop the ball, drop the ball, drop the ball. So, <laughs> but that that's also makes it amazingly interesting. I think it's like a, the imperfect. Three is also a better number though. Like three is just- Three is a great number, the magic number. So we'll see, man. There's, a, there's like, <laughs> there's, there's speculation about what will happen. Maybe people go after the single one as a collective. There's a lot of people forming to figure that out. People are looking for token IDs that best represent them, that they care about. So the ones that have gone for a reasonable premium, uh, show you this, have been obviously meme culture, edition six sold for 16,000. Okay, dude, that's that's amazing. Wait, sold for <laughs> drunk. Stop caring about the money, man. Jesus. No, I think it's, well, it's indicative no, I mean, of the behavior too, though. So I'm just yeah. saying the ones that are sold for the most low editions, right? Number 10, 420, 16031, which is the last one in the collection. Uh, interesting. You know, just, just so there's like a lot of different game theory playing out. Very cool, man. I got to say, this is not Very about the cool. money, people. Not about the money. <laughs> I, I love that I got roasted. I remember seeing that. I'm like, oh, yeah. no, I, I feel like we almost need to present the Telegram group message just yeah. to uh, shout out, shout out for that. I mean, this is the culture of NIA. Like, I would take no offense to it, but it was cool to see uh, somebody yeah. wanting to know more about it. So I appreciate 100%. it. No, no, I, I didn't respond to it. I did read it, and I thought it was a good comment. But I will say we did do a whole episode about the Last details week. of the story and like everything as well. But yeah, I think if you just go back to episode zero, it was you know jack or episode one or zero jack was talking about his nfts explained i remember like in the dm with trunk trunk said oh we were brainstorming ideas we'll talk about even back then trunk said let's roast jack on his nft sale right that was like the original premise of the show almost so i think we just got to keep it consistent and like to, to be fair obviously we also have to ask about the numbers too because that's part of the game too um and the show is called no investment advice so yeah well, it's all that's the one thing the i look back when i was listening to the last episode uh we completely i'll tell you the real ball drop we dropped the ball on this not once during jack's presentation of the checks project did we say not investment advice <laughs> yeah i feel like yeah jack are you saying something you're on mute i said it's in the name yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. there's a yeah. forever asterisk yeah, on forever every single asterisk, thing we say right? 
So like if you went out, you bought barely AI and then you found that it wasn't your favorite investment. Listen, it's in the Well, name. this is the Doug Bonepath disclaimer, isn't it? It's like the, remember what he said? Is like the RIA oh, yeah, yeah. responsibility. R- like, r- registered investment advisor. You can't, yeah, we're not that. We're not that people. Yeah, um, but in perpetuity, that is the disclaimer as suggested in the name. Yes. Exactly. I, uh, I can't wait for the moment when somebody gets those three black checks, the final boss, and then we can talk about that because that will be incredible. We got to bring those people on, obviously. If we yeah. get a final boss, if somebody final bosses it, we got to bring them on. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll we'll keep checking back in with it. Might take a week. Might take fifty years. We might be broadcasting this from the retirement home, boys. <laughs> Perfect, perfect, beautiful. Killing it, mate. Well, congrats. That's, I mean, all dog side, really cool to see. I mean, all the ideas we've talked about, CCO, getting community involved is something you've been working on. And I, I know this wasn't like a big master plan. It was like an inkling of an idea that's kind of blown up. So really cool to see it happen, man. Um, Literally in the fog of war too, like within a couple <laughs> hours of having a kid, right? Like, this is, man, like you had, you, got, you had baby brain and you pulled this off, man. This is incredible. Oh, I can't remember what happened last time. J- Jack, what was happening last time when your son was born? The first day? The one there was of one else. stuff. We're doing a lot of a one of one stuff. Oh, four so days of one of one. Okay. The that was NFTs around the same explained, time. which is like the genesis of this, right? It just happened to be Unreal, uh, at man. that same time, which I think, man, there's something to, there's something to a lot of self-examination when you're bringing in a new uh, life to the world. Maybe that's yeah, the key. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, man. yeah going to war mode man love it also All a right. lot of self-examination when you throw your back for no reason i have uh, yeah. been about a lot of things yeah, yeah, yeah. i've been reconsidering a lot of things that are important uh, <laughs> trying did you change your life's work this week yeah just yeah. after your back broke um, all right well, i will say it's good that you're standing again you're not even just taking the easy route sitting down you're just like fully leaning in i, I did a physio and they're like you got to push it you gotta push did, it. Well, did they, let me give a, did they crack your back? Like, well, what happened? No, they didn't do the crack, but uh, you guys might be familiar with this if you've done physio and the listeners, they're just like, listen, Trung. Yes, there is pain. It's related to your muscles, but also it might be a massive overreaction from your body as in like, because the spinal region is obviously so important. So when there's an injury there, it gets hit in like level 100, right? So like you move like an inch and now your body like, no, don't do that. Yeah, but the yeah. guy basically, my physio just went, all right, just start probing start tweaking around. And what you'll see is that you're basically telling your body it's okay to kind of push it a little bit, uh, not medical advice, but, uh, it's, it's been working for me. So, uh, I'll throw that out there. You're back uh, to standing. All right. Well, good to have you back fully there, mate. Well, let's move on. Jack, congrats again. Anything else before we move on to Prince Harry and a ghost Ryan industry? No boys. That was great. Thank you very much. That was great. Yeah. All right. Trunk. You're well, let resident. me throw it to you guys. Let's Go start on. right now. Prince Harry, this is this is your prince, okay? Yeah. Well, this is, well technically, it's my prince too. <laughs> uh, That's uh, true. Commonwealth. Commonwealth. So, have have the group chats been popping off, or do people in England just not care and they're just kind of over Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? Like, what, what's that? What's that like? I don't know. My mother-in-law cares about it much more than anybody in England. Yeah. Shout out, <laughs> one of our biggest listeners too. Yeah, no, I, that's an interesting Amazing. point. I feel like the US, like my girlfriend, and like we started watching the six-part Netflix uh, yeah. interviews or documentary on them. I watched the first three and I was, it was fine. I was getting a little bit bored, to be honest. And then when I went to Oxford that weekend before Christmas, my girlfriend finished the rest on her own. So I'm probably never watching the last three. Yeah, no chance. But um, yeah, I, I, it's hard for me to say because yeah, most of my friends don't really care about it, but 
I'm sure there are people, plenty of people talking about it there. It's just maybe not, I'm not the right demographic for it. You, how, how big is the book? Do you know, Trung? Insane numbers. It sold 1.4 million copies on its first day. It's the Wait, wait Jack, the were you fastest. saying how long it was though? Or were you? No, no, I was, I was asking oh, how, how big, big it's like, been. The fastest right, selling right. nonfiction book ever. Um, Damn. The only books that have beat it are the other Harry, Harry Potter uh, fiction, obviously. Uh, so he, I think, uh, just a, a, as a comparison, I think uh, Michelle Obama's book sold seven hundred thousand to a million in the first week. So just a just a perception. Whereas Prince Harry's book sold one point four million in the first day. And like as you guys probably saw, like you guys mentioned before the call, like Jack's like, listen, Trung, I'm not following this at all. But like just from osmosis, from the memes, like you, the thing with like what happened was so. Uh, the, the book launched, I think, about uh, maybe last Friday, but the Spanish version had gone to the bookstores in Spain. So people had their hands before the English version came out and they were ripping these stories. So I'm sure the listeners on this podcast have heard some of these wild stories that came out. He said that he killed 25 uh, Afghan uh, uh, combatants while he was a helicopter commander. Uh, he said that he had a frostbitten dick at Prince William's wedding. He had a wild I kill. Have a bit, honestly, I, I thought like when I saw the stuff out of context, I thought it was literal like yeah, joke, meme, right? satire. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So like he uh, he said he lost his virginity to an older lady in like a, a field behind a pub. And I like- I saw uh, Ramp tweeting about that yeah, one. Shout out. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Ramp. And uh, some other tales like that. One of my favorite was actually uh, Courtney Cox. He was at Courtney Cox's house, the former friend star, and he was taking magic mushrooms, ended up talking to a, a toilet seat for a couple hours. The reason I, I like that story because I once uh, I did shrooms in college and I, I talked to Jimi Hendrix for like a couple hours too. Uh, <laughs> I saw Jimi Hendrix in the tiles of the floor. And then we just nice. Wait, we need so, to do a whole episode on this. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's a fun fact episode. Um, so Prince Harry, and then Prince Harry went after Camilla, not shocking, right? Like uh, Camilla, which is King Charles's uh, wife uh, or, or yeah, partner. This is the first time I've ever said the word King Charles, by the way. It just does not roll off the tongue. It feels weird, right? Because I'm saying King Charles. I haven't said it yet. Yeah, it's a bit, yeah. It's, yeah, I know said, the World Cup was the God Save the King, right? That God was Save the, the King, yeah. It was, it was the, the, and the King's over. speech at Christmas. I was there for that. Oh yeah, that's right. So uh, Wait, instead of the Queen's speech, yeah. So I preamble all that to say that when those memes were dropping, I'm like, oh, this is a disaster. Oh, what a disaster, right? Like, and he goes on Colbert, what a disaster. I don't know if it's orchestrated. It, 1.4 million on day one, like whatever happened, the memes were, right? And uh, and he went scorched earth against his family. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode before we uh, uh, went to Jack's thing was, I bought the book to do a meme. Uh, because I just wanted to screen record the audio book. Uh, but then I started listening to it. And the first chapter, literally the first chapter goes so hard. I'm like, I'm keeping this book. Because what happened, this is the first chapter of Prince Harry's book. He is going to Prince Philip's funeral. So this is uh, Queen Elizabeth's husband. And he goes to Prince uh, Philip's funeral because there's been a rupture between him, uh, Prince William, and uh, uh, Prince Charles over, over uh, Meghan Markle. They left, so they famously left uh, England, uh, uh, Megxit, as they called it. Uh, Harry and uh, Meghan left England, they said for their own safety, but also because they didn't uh, like what was happening. They thought that she was being maltreated, as I'm sure uh, Bilal learned in the Netflix special. Um, but uh, he went to Prince Philip's uh, funeral, and then he just throws everyone under the bus 
talking about meeting his dad and William. And he was like, he's roasting William's like receding hairline within the first two pages of the book. And I'm just like, this is so real. But uh, anyways, kept the book. But the interesting part, and I did tweet about was uh, the book was written by a guy named J.R. Modinger. Uh, he's a he's a novelist, uh, a, a journalist, won a Pulitzer. And, uh, but he's famous. Did you guys know that? Uh, you've probably known these books. Andre Agassi's book, Open, and Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog, which we've talked about on the show. I didn't know show, Shoe Dog was him. Yeah. Were both ghostwritten by J.R. Modinger. Wow, wow, How gangster, crazy man. is that? Shoe Dog, one of the best. Yeah, dude. So, like, when I found it out, I'm like, this guy's like the Michael Jordan of ghostwriting. So, uh, I want to dig into the industry a bit. And uh, apparently, he got paid a million dollars to write Prince Harry's book. And uh, I, I've actually. wonder what the uh, ROI on that was. That's a exactly, yeah, right? probably. Well, that's a, well, here, this is the question that I was going to say, though. Is like, this is a big question somebody asked me. I think it's great. I'd love to put it to you guys. Prince Harry's book is going to sell no matter what, right? Like, I could have written it and it would have sold probably 500,000 in the first day, right? Uh, I don't think anybody even knows who wrote it, right? Like, yeah, exactly. It, it would be the same amount. So what I'm saying is like, keep selling. do you think J.R. Mordinger, this, this, this high level ghostwriter had any say in like negotiating upside or they're like, no, but you get zero upside. There's no royalties coming. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Mm, good question. I, I mean, don't know. I mean, he's written some big ass books. Yeah. I was going to oh, so say he he's got like, a track he record. Yeah, yeah. He has a track record that you'd say, all right, we want someone who's good. Who's cause in, in Prince Harry's case, you're right. Like, it's going to sell either way, but they want to make it the best it can be, obviously. Like maybe so long-lasting, right? Like, and exactly. for Prince Harry, like, what difference does it make? And it's Prince? so yeah, personal. Yeah, I'll cut up a couple, a couple mil, right? For better yeah, book. it's beyond just selling a book for him. You're it's right. like him against his family. You know, it's stuff about his mom. Like, there's a lot in there. He needs to, like, give it a 10 out of 10. Trung, it's, it's about more than the money, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I, well, I will say, Trung, before you um, say the details of this, I just want to give, there's a quick excerpt that I'd saved. Uh, and the best thing about the audiobook is actually Prince Harry reading it. So yeah, uh, I'm just going to let, let me see if this works because I'm going to do share my sound and uh, tell me if you guys can hear this. This is just a little snippet I found on TikTok. Um, but this is a snippet from his book. And if you're with kids, you might want to skip 30 seconds here, but um, give it a listen. My penis was oscillating between extremely sensitive and borderline traumatized. <laughs> the last place I wanted to can be was Frost Nipperstown. I've been trying some home Sorry. remedies, including one recommended by a friend. She'd urged me to apply Elizabeth Arden cream. My mum used that on her lips. You want me to put that on my todger? It works, Harry. Trust me. <laughs> oh my God. I found the tube in the middle. Sorry, I stopped now, but wait. I just wanted to hear. I just hey, wanted fun, to hear. I just wanted to hear Jack's reaction to the word Todger because Mate, that well, is the most start, English thing. I was going to start a brand with my uni boys called Todger. Unreal. No way. Uh, boxer shorts, <laughs> so yeah. yeah oh, maybe I have to bring shirt. it back. Sorry, I just had to share that because I, I listened to that earlier and I was like, oh my God. This is, is Todger I mean, this a really is, popular slang in the UK? I mean, it's, it's used, but I would say it's out of circulation, right? It's okay. probably yeah, like yeah, a couple of generations yeah. old. Out of circulation is properly <laughs> said, yeah. But yo, that's where you bring in a guy like J.R. Modigger, the... Uh, He's going to bring, bring back the he's meme. Just, he's bringing back like the old English words. Old like, well, he's like, Harry, I got you, man. I want to make you sound tight. And Bro, he, obviously, that's so Harry's voice. Is that him reading it? Yeah, I'm yeah Harry's reading it. That was Harry's voice, that. yeah. He's got that royal sound. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the way, I mean, because basically from my point of view, someone who's created long form content for a long time, obviously not a book and you guys as well. This is the clip strategy, right? Like this yeah. is this is selling the books. Like, but this I, is I'm like ghost definitely writer. tempted to do that. And then, yeah, incredible. So uh, yeah, that Todger one had me going, man. I was so, <laughs> that was so good. Anyway. Yeah, that I mean, no, no, nothing major else on the ghostwriting stuff. I just found some of those stats interesting and the, that there's like, obviously, listen, most celebrities are having their stuff ghostwritten, right? And like, it's a job of the book publisher to match who they, so my friend was telling me, then you something very senior at Penguin, a random house. And it's like, her entire job was to match celebrities to the right ghostwriter. Because what you have to understand is like, it's everything you guys mentioned, right? Is like, you still want a good book, right? It's like, it's not enough. It's like, hey, I'm going to keep, no, let me keep the actual, 10 basis points and not give it to the proper writer. Like on the Andre Agassi book that uh, this ghostwriter wrote, uh, he said he spent 250 hours with Andre Agassi. So you imagine that, right? 250 hours, you're recording all that. And you got to turn that into, you're, you're looking at him as third person. You got to write that first person. Like, that's an insane skill. That is yeah, an insane skill to do. Hey, right? there's the, the Bankman Freed books coming out this year too. Yeah, oh, Lewis. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's going to be so I guess it's going to be a little bit different. First, I mean, if he did it first person, that'd be amazing. Just called SBF and just like his face. Yeah. <laughs> um, Some Todger references in there as well, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> a lot of Todger Bahamas references. Um, yeah, no, no, nothing else uh, super on the deep dive part of the ghostwriter, but I just found it interesting. Like you really, a proper ghostwriter is you're hand in hand with the uh, with your subject, right? What, and, um, uh, what percentage of people reading the book do you think know it was ghostwritten? Based on my knowledge of Shoe Dog and Open, which was I didn't know, I bet it's less than one percent will know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I agree. You think well, he's just sitting there on yeah. the, in the in the study, banging it out on the MacBook? Yeah. Well, also, yeah. if you think the audio book is re you know uh, being read by him as well, so yeah. it's just Megan, Megan. his voice. Yeah, Hang Megan. on, I'm just finishing the page. <laughs> I'll, I'll actually, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of ghostwriting uh, fun fact, uh, uh, ghostwriting history. Actually, some more knowledge jobs for people before they go on their workday. Here's some here's some stuff for your coffee chat later, people. So. Uh, the OG kind of like ghostwriting in the modern publishing industry was when William Haley uh, uh, wrote, or Alex Haley wrote Malcolm X's book, uh, uh, the, uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, you Wait, know, a super famous book. I've read that. Yeah, that's a so, good book. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Well, his name's on the cover. It's like, it's mm. Malcolm X with, uh, with, uh, with this Haley gentleman. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and uh, you're right. It's like, is it all ghostwriting? Like Malcolm X was clearly a very articulate like a, a, a learned individual. So like, I don't know how much is ghostwritten, but I mean like getting a book out is a skill, right? Like finishing like content is like, just cause you're smart. Doesn't mean you can put out like structured content. Uh, and then another interesting one I found uh, was a uh, uh, BJ Novak from the office. So like one of the actors and uh, creators and writers, his father, William Novak uh, was a very prominent ghostwriter wrote uh, uh, the bi autobiographies for Nancy Reagan, uh, uh, Magic Johnson and um, Lee Iacocca, the former head of oh, Chrysler. Gee. Yeah, oh, so he's a, we should do an Iacocca episode, yeah? Yeah, Ford versus Ferrari. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's right. I got a little um, family history, Lee Iacocca too. Oh, here we go. So Celia's side of the family, I might get some facts wrong here, but my understanding was the town that Celia's mom grew up in uh, was part of a marketing campaign by Ford where they gave a thousand identical cars to the town or every family in the town got an identical Ford for a month or something. And I think wait, that was an Iacocca. Where was uh, this, Jack? 
in uh, Illinois somewhere. Oh, that's okay, amazing. Okay, okay. It was like, you know, middle of like middle America, perfect cross section yeah, yeah. marketing campaign thing. I think Incredible. Mike Oker, like he's a good uh, example of like marketer turned executive, right? Like figure out what people respond to and use that to become an amazing operator. We should definitely do it. We got to do like Oker episode. Love it. All right, boys, amazing, that, guys. Was, that was great. Thanks for breaking that down. Anything else before we move on to the chat with Omar, boys? No, that's perfect. I uh, hope everybody enjoys uh, uh, Omar and Kazi and a little Tesla talk. Uh, but uh, congrats again to Jack. And, uh, Smashing it. Yeah. And congrats well to my lumbar to region. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. welcome back. <laughs> what was it? And what was the meme? 69K Bitcoin standing until. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you that's still. It. I'll be happening for a while. The only thing that could take me down was a freak accident, boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your back will break before well, that happens again, probably. We're getting closer, though. I saw that yeah, in the last... Jack has been reviving the NFT market, and I think also the Bitcoin and ETH markets, because well, let me uh, leave on this one last joke from last our, one of our favorite accounts, uh, Buco Capital. He goes, he just goes, you crypto idiots, quit pumping Bitcoin, because uh, Jerome Powell is going to have to do another rate hike. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fair play. Jesus Christ. All right. Well, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that part of the show. We've got a very special, special guest today. Omar Kazi, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Did I say your name correctly? Just because we were talking before we got on here. I didn't even ask if I'm saying Kazi correctly. Yeah, you correctly. nailed it. I've Great got job. the proper Pakistani Indian accent in there. So uh, <laughs> yeah. there we go. Arabic, we'll throw it in. I'll start throwing an extra A in there. Um, so look, Trung, I know you guys know each other, so I'll let you introduce Omar and how you guys know each other. Well, what I'll say is Omar actually was the one that convinced me to buy a Tesla. I don't know if he remembers this, but like I bought of a course, Tesla yeah. shortly after meeting Omar. Uh, <laughs> how do you but, like uh, it? I, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan of Vancouver. Uh, didn't have a lot of supercharger networks when I bought it, uh, which is mm -hmm. like uh, fall 2020, but they've upped the game. And yeah. I only do city driving. Vancouver's a small city, so it's like the perfect car for the city but i, oh, I yeah. out mm -hmm. and got like the entry-level battery <laughs> so <laughs> i i just regret having that entry-level battery and just not splurging on the extra a couple k mm -hmm. but, but well, key but, thing trung though is you bought ahead. this after what, what there was something that happened with elon musk no yeah, online he, it was i'd been on twitter for like six months i didn't know what was going on twitter i'm a total <laughs> noob and like elon replied to one of my tweets i'm like this is and we're gonna get our lease is coming up anyways i'm like okay this is a good reason for me to go buy a car now so good <laughs> yeah there we but, go. uh, but omar was actually the I think Omar basically had responded to my tweet initially, which is what led it to Elon. So like literally responsible for that. But uh, for the listeners and viewers, Omar, uh, a founder, software engineer, but primarily known online as whole Mars catalog, uh, which is a, a legendary uh, Twitter account covering all things Tesla. Is that about a correct intro? Yeah, that's about right. You know, I started my life as a software engineer. Now I'm doing a lot of writing about, EVs, autonomy, AI, making a lot of videos. I mean, there's some truly amazing stuff happening in this space uh, with software and technology, which is really what drove me to it. And I mean, this is just such a crazy time, all the things that are happening. And so, Omar, you're an actual software engineer too, right? Or like a coder, yeah. or you got a technical background? Yeah, yeah, I have a technical background. My uh, dad was a, was a structural engineer and he ended up, starting a software company uh, around the time I was born. So I kind of grew up with them making software and started coding myself from a young age. But um, 
you know, so it was a little bit surprising to get into like writing and stuff like that too, but I do a little bit of both now. Well, I think that's a perfect place to start with the, with the main content of your writing or a lot of it is so the meme of the week (laughs) this week for the, uh, the (laughs) listeners is literally 10 minutes before Omar came on, uh, Elon quote retweeted and Elon, <laughs> a, a, a Omar tweet. So this is hilarious. It's just like a model three driving through like knee high water. Is it, is it possible just because the engine, there's no engine and, and that's why I was able to do that. Yeah. I mean, that definitely helps. It's kind of funny. You hear people say, Oh, because it's an electric car, you can't get it wet because they're thinking of like their old iPhone one that they dropped in the tub but no, of course, it's actually pretty waterproof. And yeah, because it doesn't have an engine, um, you can sort of almost use it as a boat. Like Elon's joke that you can use the Cybertruck as a boat. So <laughs> pretty crazy situation in California with all the rain. But you can see that did, woman taking advantage of it with her Tesla. Did you boat. take that video? Or was that someone sent it to you? <laughs> no, I was just on the news. Yeah. Oh, I was on the news. Because I saw a few people in California <laughs> sent me videos of the floods like right near their house and stuff. It's it's pretty crazy there. But Omar, you're pretty OG. Yeah, you're OG on the Tesla. You had you bought your first Tesla in like twelve or thirteen. Well, yeah, my dad got his first model S in 2013. So okay. he's now, I think, had four model S's. So he's been a Tesla driver now for 10 years. So that was originally what brought me into it is just coming home from college. I think I was in college at the time when he got his Model S coming home from college and just stealing his car and going, wow, this car is amazing. Right. And then fast forward to 2016 or 20, yeah, 2016, uh, I was at college and I remember Elon unveiling the Model 3 and he said, hey, cheaper Tesla. reserve it for a thousand. And I said, shit, I'm sold. That's perfect. A cheaper Tesla. And then when they started the model three Ram 2018, I got one. And that's when I started tweeting about how I love the car. And there was a really crazy, uh, short and distort campaign happening where people were really betting that Tesla was going to fail. And that's sort of how I got into the whole thing. A lot of people were saying Tesla's going bankrupt, they're going under. And I just started writing about, look, this is actually a really great product. And fast forward today, it's become a massive hit, you know, number one selling EV brand in the world and uh, completely the opposite of what a lot of people were expecting. They were expecting Tesla to go under. It ended up becoming one of the most valuable companies on earth. Could we add, so a couple of points I want to tease out there. From that period when you started writing, what did you get right and what did you get wrong? And then how would you address kind of this common criticisms like, well, Tesla, was when it was worth a trillion dollars worth multiples of every other car company in the world combined, right? It's like, is there a part of you that are like, okay, I kind of get that argument, but well, here's why they're wrong. Yeah, well, I mean, it's sort of like, well, well there's a few things that happen. One, I think you had a, a period of um, really all of these short bets unwinding. So you had sort of a short squeeze that coincided with really a bunch of capital being pumped into the market. So there was some level of the stock getting ahead of itself a little bit, but for the most part, you know, it's sort of like looking at Apple in the eighties and trying to value it by looking at the market for typewriters, right? Because, okay, yeah, it can replace a typewriter. Sure. But you're really looking at it very narrowly if you think it's just a typewriter company or it's like if you called Apple a telephone company today. So 
I mean, Tesla is a technology company that's doing some truly amazing stuff. If you look at the legacy auto OEMs and the right way to compare them is to look at enterprise value. Look at the debt all of these legacy automakers have on their balance sheet as well. And if you add them all up, they're, you know, Tesla's not bigger than all of them in enterprise value. So Tesla has very little debt. And you look at, for example, you know, the distribution, the legacy automakers, they don't do their own distribution. They're separate publicly traded distribution on um, the stock market, you know, publicly traded dealers. You look at, for example, the software, they typically outsource that to suppliers. Tesla does it in-house. They make their own self-driving software. A lot of the parts that legacy automakers just buy from suppliers, Tesla makes themselves. So it's a very different company. It's a technology company and they're working on all kinds of sort of software products and things, things on the energy side that you wouldn't see from a traditional car company. So in my view, Tesla is actually very undervalued compared to some of the things they're working on and what the potential is. I think the FSD piece alone, the self-driving piece, yeah. yeah, I think that alone could be a trillion dollar business. What this technology essentially allows them to do is take eight cameras and drive a car with just cameras. This is actually pretty mind blowing if you think about it. All you have to do is just stick some cameras around the car, have a little computer. It's like an iPad computer. It's probably costs less than a thousand dollars. And boom, you can drive a car pretty much with just computer vision. Jack, do you have any questions? Cause you're a big car guy based on what Omar just said. No, no questions. I, I, uh, you have, you've got a really, I don't know, the, the experience of being in a Tesla for the first time is obviously a, uh, viral moment <laughs> unto itself. I think that's been a massive factor of like, I think what you're saying about the typewriter and the computer is a good analogy because it doesn't feel like a comparison between a traditional vehicle really. So oh, yeah. it resonates with me for sure. Absolutely. So Omar, on that point, the full self-driving, when you mentioned earlier that, uh, uh, you, you know, you cut a lot of videos uh, on your Twitter mm -hmm. feed, it, is that Twitter feed just you is it, or, or anybody well, else? Well, there's a couple other people who help out, but it's mostly okay. me. Right. So you've done a lot of, uh, I've seen a ton of your uh, full self-driving in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I've never tried it. Uh, I don't think. I, 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 well, here's the question: Is Vancouver Time mapping? To try like, it. Is, well, is mapping a situation where it's like you have like San Francisco have way more reps with that FSD versus Vancouver, where there may not be as many drivers? Is that a consideration? No, that's not exactly how it works. Um, you know, it does use some street map data to figure out where to turn and stuff like that, but for the most part, it's just looking at the cameras and looking at the road and trying to see. So. I would encourage you try it out tonight and let yeah, me know what you think. Okay. So here's how you, here's how you do it. Live you can, stream it trunk. We want to yeah, see this. Yeah. As well. yeah. You, your car can, I mean, you're, you're obviously in, you know, Washington, you're in the United States. No, right? Vancouver, Vancouver, Canada. Oh, okay. Well, that doesn't matter. Canada still counts. Yeah. Canada's America's <laughs> happy. So, it still counts. Oh, well, yeah, actually, well, there I don't is no know. I, don't, I don't know the rules, actually. I would have to look into the FSD rules. And, uh, because, again, yeah, remember when I said I pushed out when I bought it? I got the minimum battery. I didn't get the extra <laughs> FSD add-on. 
Yeah, yeah. So there is there is one complication, which is that in the United States, you can subscribe to FSD for two hundred dollars a month. Yeah. So it's pretty, pretty uh, relatively inexpensive to pay that and give it a try for one month. But in Canada, I think you have to buy in full. So it would probably be like, you know, yes, I 10, 15, 15, okay. $15,000 or something. So <laughs> you probably, you probably have to wait until they do the subscription in Canada, which is like, come on, Elon, where's the subscription in Canada? Give our, give Mark our Canadian too small, brothers bro. some love. The Canada, America's <laughs> but, hat's too small. But once the subscription comes out for Canada, I'm going to DM you and be like, hey, it's time. Get on it. Do the subscription. You push the button, you download the beta, try it out, and your car will literally just drive you around. It's pretty crazy that that can be done with a software update, right? I mean, the idea of cars having software updates is pretty new. The idea of it just downloading an update and then suddenly it can drive itself. And of course, you know, I'm still talking driver assistance. You have to watch it. It still makes mistakes, but you can tell it, Hey, you know, drive me over here and it'll try and do just that with just cameras. And I think you'll be blown away by how well it does. How much do you mentally unplug when you go FSD or are you still very like for like driver assistant? Like you're very still eyes on the road. Like what, what are we talking here? Yeah, that's a good, um, that's a good question. So really when you're driving, you're doing so many different tasks. You're trying to make sure that you arrive at your destination, thinking about what lanes you need to change, uh, doing all this stuff. And also, you know, sort of making sure you don't crash, control the car. When you're on FSD, it handles everything for you. You can kind of space out. All you need to do is just sort of sanity check it and make sure it doesn't crash. So you can kind of space out, kick back, listen to the music, sing. And it'll worry about all the turns it needs to make, all the places it needs to go. And you all you have to do is just make sure it doesn't crash into anything, right? So it's sort of a very low-level thing. You can sort of subconsciously see if something's right or something's wrong, you know? Um, so you need to watch, but it, it makes sure you watch. It has a camera. Make sure you don't use your phone or anything like that. Oh, so, what, so it, it will ping you if it sees your eyes uh, are not uh, looking straight? Oh yeah. Even sometimes I just sort of space out where I'm like looking at, you know, not looking at the road, <laughs> just sort of like, and it goes beep beep. And you're like, Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. I got to watch this uh, AI. So that's actually it's a great, a point great system because I space out as I drive anyways, <laughs> like my kids yelling at me, I'm listening to a podcast. My kids got his music on and like <laughs> I'm thinking about a tweet I sent an hour ago. So like the cognitive load is already tremendous. Right. Yeah. So I think you'd love it, you know, and you, you can just sort of think about what you want to think about and you never have to worry about, Oh shit, I missed a turn because I was spaced out or whatever. The car just sort of takes you there. I think it's the future. And the great thing is you can choose when to drive and when not to drive. So you hear this a lot. People say, Oh, well, I love driving and I actually love driving too. Um, but nobody loves driving all the time. So yeah. that's a really cool thing compared to say like a Waymo or a cruise where you're sitting in the back seat, kind of like, I hope I don't die is <laughs> you're at the control. You got the wheels and you can drive, you can do whatever you want. If the self-driving software is doing something annoying, it gets stuck behind a bus and it doesn't want to go around. You can just grab the wheel and go around yourself, have some fun. And then boom, just turn it on again. And it's on again. And I think that's actually what most consumers want, probably. So the elephant in the room with FSD, obviously, is this, right? 
almost for certain, if everybody just flipped on FSD, society would be safer. But there's a human element. And then you'll see the stuff like whatever the crash in that tunnel, right? Which, <laughs> to be honest, I don't want to be an asshole, but if you're the one rear ending someone, it's usually the rear ender's fault because that <laughs> means you're too damn close. Uh, yeah. I, Jack might disagree with that. But uh, so, uh, so what I want to say is like, what you're describing though is it's not it's not like fully unplugged because that Waymo world is that the trillion dollar opportunity in the Waymo world or even what you're describing where you're just like oh if you don't want to drive half the time you just let it do its own thing is that still the trillion dollar opportunity or does it have to be that Waymo world where you just call in your car and it shows up whenever you want it? Yeah, so I mean Waymo hasn't exactly solved how to make a car drive anywhere either. Um, sure. The, there, there are some driverless services. You can go to Chandler, Arizona and try a Waymo. And you can, here in San Francisco, I have a beta of the cruise system. I can take a driverless ride now between 12 and 6 a.m. Um, so, you know, driverless, I think, is a huge inflection point in value. But it's, you know, it has to get to the point where it's scalable, where you can actually drive anywhere, do the actual drives you want to do. And the technology just hasn't gotten there yet, but they are making progress. It's funny, there's sort of a lot of, you know, misinformation and um, like sort of popular fear about this sort of stuff. Like, for example, on the Bay Bridge uh, crash, everyone was saying, oh, FSD crash, FSD crash. But you know, on the highway, it just uses the same basic autopilot that has existed since 2014. So it's really the old software, not the full self-driving. You know, similar to the lane keeping assist you could find on pretty much any major brand these days, right? Um, but of course, everybody's sort of looking for this story. And, you know, obviously you're supposed to not rear end people. Somebody could stop because there's a crash or debris totally. in the road or something. So or fucking deer know, I, in I, British I, Columbia, just deer everywhere. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I find it kind of amusing. You know, people are like, oh, you know, they're always trying to blame the software. You know, you, you saw, for example, that devil slide crash where this guy drove his family off a cliff and people were immediately jumping to blame the autopilot and say, oh, autopilot drove them off the cliff. And then you, you know, listen to the firefighters and the police and you hear them say, we're shocked that anyone survived this fall off the mountain, right? And it, yeah, I, I think it's just um, an enormous sort of safety benefit. And although driverless is going to be an inflection point, it's already incredibly useful today. And I think far more useful than Waymo and Cruise are because you can actually use it on your real drives. You know, you don't have to be in Chandler, Arizona. Um, and actually the people in Chandler don't even use it or you don't have to be in San Francisco at night, whatever time of day, whatever place you want to go anywhere in the country, you even want to go to Canada, it'll drive you there. So I think that's a huge benefit. Once it gets reliable enough that you can go to sleep, that's going to be a huge turning point, obviously. But I do think that people are ignoring how much progress is actually being made today and how useful it can be. How do you know how they say with FSD, like that last 1% is the hardest, right? You can get 99% there and that last 1% where actually the government will be like, yeah, we're going to flip it on for everyone or make it allowed. Like, well, is there a world though where that will never happen? Because what you're describing, and I agree, is like, listen, I've driven highway at night and I've, I've dozed, like legit dozed off, right? And it's so fucking dangerous. Um, but to have like a, 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 the US government, the Canadian government be like, yeah, you know what, FSD is, fully there 100%, it's, it's jumped from 99 to 100. 
Like, is that going to happen for sure, though? At this point, I can tell you for sure that it is going to happen. And what gives me the confidence to say that is, number one, using the software for the last two years and seeing how it's improved. And it's now gotten to the point where it can do most of my drives without me doing anything. And I had a video I posted on my YouTube. We, you know, we were driving around for two hours and 20 minutes around the Bay Area, 130 miles. It was heavy rain at some points. And it drove me all around with zero takeovers. We drove by the 49er stadium. People were getting let out. All the craziness of the real world, it handles it. And you see what's happening with AI these days. And there's like an amazing revolution in AI. Like I'm sure some of you guys have played with Chad GPT and you're just like, holy shit, how does this output come out of this model where I can just say, hey, you know, write me a story about, uh, you know, Harry Potter and Pokemon, you know, meeting or whatever. And it's like, oh yeah, sure. I can write that. And they can actually write a story that makes sense. Or you say, Hey, uh, Dolly, give me a image of an astronaut, you know, uh, landing on a moon made of cheese or whatever. And it can, whatever you think of, it can just draw it. And you're like, what the fuck? How is this even possible? And these models have just learned by watching us, right? They've, there's so much data on the internet that humans have posted, stuff humans have written, images humans have posted, uh, images humans have made, that it can just learn from that. And then it's able to get these amazing results. And it's the same thing in driving. Just by watching us enough, the computers can learn what's acceptable driving and what isn't. And you're, say, you're seeing that play out much faster than I think most people realize because it's still at the point where the vast majority of people have not been exposed to the technology. Bilal Jack, do you have any questions before I ask Omar about the Tesla price cuts? No, nope, no, nope, go for it. All right. So uh, Omar, that was kind of the catalyst uh, that we wanted to chat about uh, because I know you got a great understanding of the, the auto industry in general. I was like, so I saw these price cuts happen and uh, just to throw the numbers out there, I believe that between the Model 3, the S, the X and the Y, it's between 6% to 20% uh, price cuts across all inventory for Tesla. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Well, so yeah, when you saw insane. that, what was your instinct? What, what what was your reaction? Oh man. I mean, I was just so excited because, you know, <laughs> during the pandemic, the cars got so expensive, like even I couldn't afford one and I already have one. So the prices just got so crazy and it it was just, you know, I, I think this technology, the FSD, for example, is so incredible and it's great that people can get access to it. And here in the United States, it's now $36,000 uh, after the tax credit, if you qualify for a Model 3 based model, and that gets 273 miles of range. It can run FSD. You can subscribe. It has all the hardware needed. It's pretty much a fully loaded car. It's not like most automakers where you have to buy the premium and the sports package and the technology package to get the basic features for, you know, 36,000, you can pretty get pretty much get everything. So when you look at fuel savings, maintenance, they're actually getting to the point where they're like pretty damn competitive with like Toyota and Honda. And I think that's super exciting. If you're in the U S definitely, you know, take a look before they change the tax credit guidelines in March. These are like some crazy deals and you can get into a car that can drive you around and has this great software experience that has all these features that, you know, a few other cars do. 
So I think it's a really great thing. And you're seeing volume of EVs. I mean, it just blows my mind looking at what's happening in the EV market right now. You're see- really seeing it reach a tipping point where production has actually increased so much um, with Tesla and a lot of these Chinese automakers that it's really gotten to a scale that uh, I think few could really imagine just a few years ago. We're talking millions and millions of EVs and in China, they can now sell a Model 3 for $33,000. And that's not even the cheapest EV you can get there. So it really is pretty crazy. Just as they increase the production, you've got a higher fixed cost absorption and really getting this down to a cost level where I think it's going to hit the mass market. EVs have been more expensive than gas cars for as long as we've sort of known them. But it's getting into a tipping point where now they're actually becoming very competitive on sticker price. And then you get the fuel savings to boot. So I think in the coming years, you're going to see a massive influx of people moving to EVs. Share of EVs in the United States has already doubled um, between 2021 and 2022. And we're way behind Europe and Asia. So I think we're going to see some truly crazy growth, especially this year when you really see electric trucks start to take off. So the, for, for, for Elon and Tesla to make this move, right? It was like the give up some margin for, for just volume growth period, for everything you mentioned, it's like more fixed cost absorption, get as many of these cars out there. And, and, and as you well know, his original vision was always, listen, we're going to start luxury, but then we want to be like the, the Corolla or Camry effectively. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big debate is like, where did margins actually fall? I don't think they're losing money on the car, but how much of this was them actually being able to pass on cost efficiencies and how much of them was just taking a hit to move more cars. But the cool thing is, which you mentioned on our Twitter space, they can push the margin down to sell as much volume as possible. And they still have this massive opportunity in upgrading the cars to autonomy. And if you sell someone the FSD or get them to subscribe, the profits, because the profits on the software are so much higher margin, are equal to selling a car. So you can sell a car at very little margin and still make a ton of money if they activate some of these software services like the full self-driving. I use the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for the TLDR then becomes a uh, uh, volume growth is totally worth it uh, for where they are. It, they can absorb it. And the optionality of upgrading on the software is huge. So kind of the last question I had around this, I don't know if the other guys did it all around EVs was, is there uh, the question of the lithium sourcing, right? Or even just any of the metals for the batteries, how much does that concern you in a way of like, okay, that's another bottleneck. And that could become a situation where a lot of the upside of going EV is taken away from how extra, how difficult that resource extraction is. Well, I think that, raw material constraints are actually the primary concern because you go look at everybody's promises. So GM, Ford, these guys, they're all promising we're going to sell this many EVs, this percentage of our sales is going to be EVs. Now you back that those promises up into the supply chain and you say, okay, they want to make this many EVs. So they're going to need this much lithium, this much cobalt, this much nickel, that sort of thing. And then you look at the raw materials and it's just not there. The supply chain to procure that amount of raw materials just doesn't exist. So 
automakers aren't used to that. They're used to just going to their tier two suppliers or their tier one suppliers and saying, okay, you give me this part and the tier one suppliers go to the tier twos and they contract the raw materials and there's no problem in that. But now OEMs are really having to look downstream into their tier two and tier three suppliers and really care about where those raw materials are coming from. In some cases, sourcing the deals themselves because um, there just isn't enough. And it's not that there isn't enough in the earth. Like lithium, for example, is very abundant. But to have lithium mining and battery grade lithium refining is uh, that's really the issue. You know, getting these things up, the permitting can take years, right, for a new mining or refining operation. So Tesla's getting into like lithium hydroxide refining in Texas now. Um, huge incentives for this, uh, for making this stuff in the US. But the issue isn't really that there isn't enough in the earth. You know, humans are really creative at finding stuff when they need it, right? Like we thought we were out of oil a long time ago, but when you can make money, people figure <laughs> out creative ways to do things, right? Yeah. It's called and war. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? So I think the same thing's sort of happening here. It's not that the, you know, we don't have enough material in the earth. It's more that the supply chain is just being built up and it doesn't exist yet. And so I, I do think that's sort of the primary limiting factor in EV adoption is uh, sort of figuring that supply chain piece out. I love that. You guys, uh, uh, Bilal Jack, any cues? Don't think so. Anything from you, Jack? I'm trying to think if there's anything else you. That no, was really I was comprehensive. Just ask for um, like what the software margin is as a percentage of the entire vehicle mm. cost. Do you know? Yeah, that's a great question. So, if you look at, for example, uh, their car, which they're selling at, I think forty three thousand dollars now. That's their base model car. And so if you assume a 25% gross margin, which may be generous, it could be less than that now. I don't really know where the margins are going to fall, but let's be generous. Let's give them 25. That's about $10,000, right? Well, now the FSD is $15,000 and it has a, you know, let's say 90 or 80% margin. So at an 80% margin, that's $12,000. That's more than selling the car. And you may say, oh, well, you know, someone's not going to pay $15,000. But if you look at $12 a month, uh, I mean, sorry, $200 a month, that's $24 a year over the life of your car. If, you know, you subscribe for, let's say, six years, that's $15,000 again. So one way or another, they're making quite a lot of money selling you, you know, insurance, premium connectivity, self-driving, and people are happy to pay for it because, you know, $200 a month is something like $6 a day. So $6 a day to get the software, you know, a, you know, if it's really gets good, it's like having a private driver. So for $6 a day, you can have a private driver. That's a pretty compelling service if you can offer that. Um, and if you think about it, it kind of makes sense to push as many vehicles as possible, even if the margin's a little lower, just so you can hopefully get a few people to subscribe to this. It's the classic, you know, razor in the blade model, the printer in the ink, right? Um, you sell them one thing and get them to Fucking keep buying it, the other dude, thing. That inkjet, bro. Oh my <laughs> yeah. goodness. Yeah. What a ripoff. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, and it's not even driving you anywhere. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a racket. The printer ink market, don't get me started, you know? 
Well, I, you know what? I, I, w- w- I would be remiss not to ask. What I will say, what I appreciate about your Twitter account, uh, Omar, <laughs> is, well, obviously, there, there's so, first of all, you, you're, a, you're a, a very prominent retweeter of a lot of my content. So I appreciate that <laughs> over the years. Uh, for yeah, pumping. you have some great stuff. <laughs> and the other thing I will ask is, uh, you've also, like, straight up, been like, when Elon bought Twitter, and then obviously it was getting quite uh, uh, polarizing with a lot of, he was, it's very clear. He's going after the wokes and all that. But you just straight up said, like, your tweet's like, listen, I kind of want just my CEO right now for Tesla. It's like, let's, kind of, let's focus on the autonomy. Let's focus on the car, right? It's like, so do you still feel like uh, uh, him wasting, uh, not wasting, but spending so much time on Twitter is a net negative uh, uh, for Tesla's, you know, the, the long-term roadmap that, that, that we've kind of laid out here? Well, you know, I've actually gotten to talk to Elon a little bit um, over the years, which I think is amazing. You know, he was like a hero to me when I got the first car and I never imagined that I would sort of get to know him a little bit. I don't know him that well, but, you know, occasionally we'll email or send a message or something like that. And I think I've gotten to know him a little bit and, you know, I think he's such a misunderstood person and, He's become like a cartoon character, right? People don't even think of him as a real person. They think of him like a cartoon character on the show they saw. But, you know, he is actually a real person. And I don't really, you know, care about his whatever he wants to do. You know, I I think he should do him. And I don't always agree with everything he says, but he's a smart guy. When he says something, I listen. But I think a lot of sort of, you know, Tesla shareholders, people who love the technology, that sort of thing. The discussion sort of shifted a lot, you know, from Tesla to Twitter and to everything that was happening. Um, So I think that sort of, you know, upset some people. I don't really mind as much, but I'll sort of give voice to some of those people who, you know, feel frustrated and uh, they want to be heard. But I I definitely do agree that you know, some of this stuff is sort of flying under the radar, like with AI. I mean, I really think this technology has the potential to change the world really fast, right? So you've got this full self-driving software. Tesla's got 3.6 million cars out there. Should the software get more reliable, they can push a button and send the software out and there'll be 3.6 million self-driving cars just like that. Your car will start driving around that you bought that, you know, you maybe never expected to. And you'll be like, holy shit, I can't believe that, you know, I got this software update and my car is driving itself. So it has the potential to transform the world really quickly. And they're, you know, taking it further. They're saying, okay, can we build like a robot, you know, that uses the same technology to walk around? If we can have a car drive around safely, can we have a robot walk around safely? So I think they're doing some truly amazing things. The energy side of the business allowing us to move to clean energy with these like massive, massive mega pack batteries. They're really doing some exciting things, but um, it has gotten a little, uh, it has flown a little bit under the radar, which is kind of surprising when you have a company people talk about as much as Tesla, just because of all the drama around Twitter. But I am hopeful that sort of, you know, Twitter helps the, the Tesla Elon empire. Eventually, I think they're going to start integrating it into the products. Um, integrating it into Tesla and uh, leveraging it. You know, they always sort of do that. Like, for example, on the Cybertruck, 
the metal they're using for the Cybertruck is a special alloy that they developed for the rocket. Amazing. Right? For space. So that's not even not even a steel alloy that's on the market. But there's always some, you know, some little overlap between these companies. They're able to sort of borrow things from each other. And I think that's what you're going to see about Twitter too. Although it's been a lot of drama, um, you know, I'm happy that Elon owns it. And I think it's, you know, probably in better hands, um, more likely to become profitable. And, um, you know, I think it just elevates him, elevates Tesla even further. You've seen millions and millions of people just discover Tesla from being exposed to it on Twitter, right? Like that's probably how you ended up getting a Tesla, right? Yeah. Well, literally you, man. Thanks, dude. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I have one Twitter integration idea before we oh, yeah? bounce here. Okay. When my battery goes below 69%, I want it to automatically tweet from my account. Nice. What do you think about that one? <laughs> that's a good one. I'll, you know, I'll pass that along to the team. Let me see. <laughs> Could be a good one. Well, <laughs> All right, man. That's amazing, Omar. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, if you guys don't have any more cues, uh, I'm happy uh, to Omar. I really appreciate you able to jump on, man. And uh, no, I know thanks you got a for lot coming on, Omar. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> I know yeah, you have yeah, notifications you, to deal with right now. Yeah, hit that <laughs> dopamine treadmill right now. Uh, Jack, anything else from you, man? No, that was great. Thanks for dropping the knowledge. <laughs> thanks, yeah, Omar. thanks so much, guys. It was great. Yeah, appreciate it. See you guys. See you on Twitter. <laughs> thanks. thanks, Omar. <laughs>